if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a great morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock right here on this Friday morning edition of The Authority. It's the 11th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2020. What's the shopping day countdown now? What, 13, right? 13 days to do online shopping from the prison in which you are being told to stay. Stay in your cell. Do not go out amongst the crowds. Do not create the crowds. Buy from Amazon. Jeff Bezos has a vested interest in this. Buy from Amazon. Stay home and do your Christmas shopping there. Well, I'm not going to advise people or tell people what to do because I am a believer in liberty and freedom rather than fear and oppression, which is how we will start the program this morning. Governor Mike DeWine yesterday doing exactly what he said he would do. The stupid thing. Mike DeWine told us three weeks ago yesterday that we needed to institute, rather that he needed to institute and we needed to follow, a curfew, as if he was our fathers, telling us what time we had to be home that night. And of course, weeknights and school nights, we were always told by dad and mom, you know, it was a little bit earlier than the weekends. Maybe we'd get an hour later on our curfew on Friday and Saturday night, right? Uh, did you ever think that you would be a grown adult and have to be answering to curfews? Well, you did. Three weeks ago, Mike DeWine said, you have to be home by 10 p.m. with only work exceptions. You can go back out again at 5 a.m., But that's how we're going to defeat the virus. We have to slow the spread of the virus. We can't have you being out past 10 o'clock. That's when the virus runs the streets. Don't you understand? You can be out until 10 o'clock. The virus, it kind of, you know, it's kind of, um, uh, you know, a nighttime thing. What do you call that? Uh, It's, um, uh, oh, for crying out loud, I can't remember the term. But at any rate, it only comes out at night. And you can, you can be safe until 10 o'clock, but at 10 o'clock, that's when the virus wakes up and starts to patrol the streets and starts to patrol public areas. So you have to be home. We're going to tamp down and slow the spread of the coronavirus with this curfew. Three weeks, he said. That's what we need to do. Three weeks went by yesterday, and as of that third week uh, anniversary, if you will, of the curfew, Mike DeWine announced bad news, folks. It didn't work. 
the curfew didn't tamp down the virus. It didn't provide us with the relief we were hoping for. The curfew was ineffective. The curfew did not slow the spread. So today, Mike DeWine said, I hereby order an extension of the curfew that didn't work. (laughs) You cannot make this stuff up. The little bespectacled buffoon, the little Napoleonic tyrant who wants to be everybody's daddy said that that thing that didn't work the first time around, we're going to extend it. Just let that sink in for a second. Does anybody else find that logic bat bleep crazy besides me? And oh, by the way, A lot of people are concerned because the upcoming Browns game has been flexed to a night game because the Browns are pretty good and they're on the verge of making the playoffs. If you're still following the NFL, many people are not, myself included, but I know enough to tell you that, that for the first time since 1994, before they left and went to Baltimore, the old Browns, if you will, they're 9-3 and and on the verge of of a playoff run or at least a playoff season. So they got flexed to a 8-15 game, a home game. Well, Mike DeWine was under the gun. He had to make a decision here. Am I going to tell the 12,000 fans that are allowed to gather in the 65,000-seat stadium, am I going to tell them that they have to leave at halftime to be home by their 10 o'clock curfew? And Governor Mike DeWine said, nobody can accuse me of being heartless. I'm going to give an exemption to fans who are at the football game. Fans at the football game can be late, can come home after the 10 o'clock curfew. Now, two things need to be said about that. Number one, all right, that's at least reasonable. You, You probably should make an exception. Because you can't tell 12,000 people at a football game to leave at halftime to be home by your curfew. That's just stupid. So that's reasonable for Mike DeWine. That's number one. But the second thing that you have to say is, clearly Mike DeWine does not believe in his own curfew. Because he's making that reasonable step, taking that reasonable step and telling them they don't have to be home on time, he is essentially saying that I'm actually not worried about the spread of the coronavirus after 10 p.m. He has gone on the record numerous times in the last nine months to tell you, 10 months really, to tell you that you have to follow the rules, otherwise grandma might die. Otherwise, you might bring home the virus and kill grandma, even if you don't even realize you're sick because asymptomatic people can spread the virus, by the way, which is hogwash. Hogwash. Yes, I'm borrowing a Joe Biden term for a moment. Smack me, by the way, if I say, come on, man. But it's hogwash. But but aside from that, and we're going to find out about how much hogwash it is, uh, in just a bit, when we talk to uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, she'll be coming on at 9.35 this morning. 
Aside from that, the point is, if Mike DeWine truly believes that this life and death situation involving the Chinese Wuhan coronavirus is so dangerous and deadly after uh, 10 p.m., why would he give that exemption to the football fans at the stadium, to the 12,000 at the stadium? Why would he give them that exemption? Is he really prioritizing football over life and death? Now, I ask you this solely in the interest of pointing out how ridiculous the orders are in the first place. If the situation as is, was as dire as Mike DeWine and the Ohio Department of Health would have you believe, that this is literally a matter of life and death, that you are being ordered not to leave your home unless it is absolutely essential, You are being told, don't go anywhere unless you have to go get it. If it's something that can't be delivered, like food or medicine. That's what he's telling you to do. And now he's making an exemption for football. So either he doesn't really truly believe in the threat as he has delivered it to the people twice a week, sometimes three times a week for the last 10 months. He doesn't believe in the seriousness of the virus, or he's willing to let people die rather than suffer from the extraordinary backlash he would receive telling fans to leave at halftime. You understand that? It's one of those two things. Either Mike DeWine knows that the load he's been shoveling at you for the last 10 months is just that. It's just a load, a pant load, if you will. Or it's not a pant load. It really is that serious, but he's willing to let people spread the virus at a football game and past the 10 o'clock curfew from that football game in order to not uh, suffer the backlash and, and, and receive the, uh, the condemnation that will come from forcing people paying NFL ticket prices to leave at halftime to be back home by his curfew. Now you ponder that. Yesterday, DeWine delivered 10 protocols, new guidance. He said developed by a team of doctors. New guidance consisting of the following. One, stay at home. Two, wear your mask. Now, I'm going to pause there and ask, I wonder if one and two are related. Is he telling you to stay at home and wear a mask in your own home? Because if he is, well, uh, maybe his little spectacles are on too tight and they're squeezing his brain. Because nobody is going to be wearing a mask inside their own home. At least nobody with an ounce of sanity. So one is stay at home, two is wear your mask, three is, and by the way, I've got a lot to say about the masking, too, as it pertains to healthy people and asymptomatic spread. Again, Dr. Tenpenny and I will talk about that uh, at 9.35 this morning. Number three, keep interactions short and stay apart. Four, wash your hands. Really? Okay. Kind of knew that. Five, work from home. It's going to be pretty tough for welders to work on their welding projects in their basements rather than at the places where they are doing their jobs. Six, or what number was I was on? Yeah, six. 
celebrate safely and celebrate small. In other words, stay home for Christmas. Do not go to family members' homes. Do not invite other family members to your homes. Let me see if I've got uh, the, the last three here. Hold on a second as I refresh. Yeah. Um, hold on. Just give it one more second here. It's a little bit of a problem. All right, here we go. Uh, next is don't eat or drink with anyone outside your household. So much for dating. Didn't Dr. Fauci tell us just a few short months ago, by the way, it was okay to go on Tinder and the hookup for sexual relationships with strangers? Didn't he just tell us that during the pandemic lockdown? It's okay to go on dates that turn into sexual occasions. Yeah, he did. But now, don't eat or drink with anyone outside your household, whether you're there for the purposes of a sexual relationship or you're eating with a family member. If they don't live with you, you can't dine with them. Meeting another couple at Applebee's for appetizers and drinks? Nope. Don't do it. Stay alone. Isolate. Next is limit travel. Next is keep weddings and funerals safe. Okay, that's pretty generic. Uh, That means, in other words, don't have any fun at your wedding and don't pay your respects at funerals. Stay away. And then finally, enjoy safe holiday activities. Well, what is a safe holiday activity? If you can't eat or drink with other people, you can't travel to other people's homes, you can't celebrate with the people that you want, Uh, You can't have interactions with them that are of any duration, and you are forced to stay at home. How are you supposed to enjoy safe holiday activities? It sounds like it means return to your cell and don't leave. Return to your cell. Let the the warden click the lock and just stay put. All right. uh, There's a lot of problems here with this, obviously. And, oh, by the way, back to the original or one of the original points here. All of those things are cast aside if you're going to the football game. If you are one of the 12,000 that are allowed inside the 65,000-seat First Energy Stadium, you don't have to do those things. And, oh, by the way, the virus won't get you after 10 o'clock the way it will everyone else. This is, uh, yeah, this is a, a weird time we're living in, my friends. It's a very weird time. And we are being governed by some people with absolutely no clue whatsoever. All right, let me get a timeout here. It's 20 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is going to join us at 9.35 with some extraordinary information on COVID, on masking, and on the effectiveness of vaccines. You know, yesterday the FDA said we're going forward. We're going forward with the 95% effective Pfizer and Moderna vaccines ready to rock. Except that maybe they're not 95% effective. In fact, maybe they're not effective at all. Dr. Penny will, uh, Tenpenny will tell us about that. Then also at 1010 this morning, Ohio State um, Representative Candace Keller will join us to talk about limiting Mike DeWine's powers to do these things with Senate Bill 311, which has been vetoed and now is targeted for override. We'll talk to Candace Keller about that at 1010 this morning. It's the authority, AM 1420, The Answer. Continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Don't forget, Doctor Sherry Tenpenny will be with us coming up at 
935 to talk about a lot of these COVID issues, things that uh, they don't want you to know, particularly about asymptomatic spread. Did you, have you heard this yet, by the way? I haven't played this often enough for my taste, actually, and I, I want to make sure that you hear this. The, the, the notion that we have to continue to wear masks even if we are not sick, even if we are not symptomatic, if we are just, yes, healthy, is one of the most frustrating things that I think a lot of people are faced as it pertains to the Chinese coronavirus. The notion that we as healthy people, non-symptomatic people, are going to be responsible for spreading the virus and adding to or creating this outbreak. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the poobah, has, has literally declared that throughout all of human history or in the history of respiratory viruses, asymptomatic people have never been the driver of an outbreak. It is always the sick people that cause an outbreak, not the healthy people. So why on earth are they trying to push these masks on healthy people who cannot spread the virus? I mean, that's that's the frustrating thing about this. I want you to listen. This is what um, this is what Doctor uh, or uh, yeah, Doctor Fauci said again. This is uh, from 2020. This is not old. And doggone it, looks like I'm having a glitch with my uh, audio system here. I'll save this for you. We'll play it for you. Hopefully, when I get Doctor Tenpenny on the line. All right, we'll go to the phones after all. Larry and Akrid, thank you for waiting, Larry. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Larry, can you hear me? Okay, I'm not hearing Larry. Can Larry hear me? Talk to me, Derek. Uh, Larry's not on the air. Yes, sir. Right, we don't need either. He's not you. talking. Yeah, well, he, you, okay. Yeah, Larry, go ahead. Okay, Bob, take a minute for me to get this out. Uh, recently, I had to have a procedure at the VA, which required a C-19 test. I was tested, and I was tested positive. Now, my question is, was I test, uh, became positive five minutes before I took the test, or have I been positive for the last three or four months before the test? Uh, yeah, that's one that's, question. That's... That's a very important point, and they have talked about that. The CDC, a a couple of months ago, rather, said that perhaps as many as 9 out of 10 positive tests are people who have old, dead particles of the virus that are still able to be detected by the hypersensitive tests, but uh, those virus particles are not contagious. There are dead viruses, and uh, dead particles, rather, and you cannot spread the infection from that. So you're you're 1,000% right to ask that question. Now, a second question. Now, I'm 76. Mm-hmm. I'm me and my partner. He's 82. So I called him and told him that I tested positive. So he calls the health department about, the, you know, me and him being in the same vehicle for up to 10 hours a day. Should he get mm-hmm. tested? And they told him no, not unless he has symptoms. Wow. Wow. So an admission, an admission from the health department that if you don't have (laughs) symptoms and you test positive, you're okay, right? That's what we're saying. That's what he's saying. And he's 82, and they say unless he has symptoms, he doesn't need to be tested. Now, does that make any sense? No, it makes no sense whatsoever. And, and here's the and you want to you want to make see it make even less sense, my friend, Larry. Here's how it makes even Uh, less sense. Anybody that he has been around who has no symptoms 
are still going to be ordered to isolate and quarantine as part of contact tracing. Anybody that has been around uh, the person who tests positive is ordered to isolate, even if that person what? himself doesn't have to uh, doesn't have to isolate uh, uh, if they test positive with no symptoms. And in fact, as you say, if they have no symptoms but test positive, uh, they don't have to do anything. But the people that they're near, they have to go and isolate. How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. And his wife is two years older than he is, and they didn't tell him that I self-isolate. No, it it makes each time you hear and Larry, thank you for the call, my friend. God bless you. Uh, Any every time you hear a case like this, it just it just, you know, reminds us that they literally are making up the rules as they go along and they are making rules that contradict themselves, contradict one another as they go along as well. But the one thing historically people need to realize that even if there is some asymptomatic transmission in all the history of respiratory borne viruses of any type, asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks. Did you hear that? In all of the history of respiratory-borne viruses, of which coronavirus, COVID-19, is one, asymptomatic people do not drive outbreaks. The driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person. That's the poobah, grand poobah of epidemiology, Anthony Fauci, the man that we are all told to listen to, but now... What do we listen to? Hey, you don't know if you're sick or not. If you're asymptomatic, you might still be spreading it. Wear a mask. Stay home. Give me a break. We're not stupid. I might have been born at night, but not last night. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny will join us next. You can care all you want. Social justice will give a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended. This isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. All right, onward at 936. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer. We're going to dive right back into this. The governor gave his uh, latest uh, round of orders. Translated, rather than going through the 10 that I'll talk about with Sherry Tenpenny here in a second, again, the translation is this. Stay in your cell, inmate. Uh, we will tell you when you can come out. But right now, yard time is forbidden until further notice. That's basically what we're being told. And by the way, while you're in your cell, do not try to talk to the people in the cell next to you. Uh, I know it sounds a little overdramatic, but I think it's... Pretty accurate, to be 100% honest with you. All right, let's bring in Dr. Sherry Tenpenny now. Dr. Tenpenny has been a guest on this program a number of times. She's an osteopathic medical doctor, board certified in three medical specialties, and widely regarded as the most knowledgeable and outspoken physician on the adverse impact of vaccines. We're not just talking about vaccines today. We will, but we're going to talk about the entirety of the COVID response and whether or not it's medically necessary. Dr. Tenpenny, good morning. Good to talk to you again. How are you? Good morning, Bob, and thank you for having me back. So much ground to cover. I could not not have you back, to be honest with you, uh, and, and because there's so much information and misinformation and contradictory messaging that is coming from the CDC, coming from departments of health, including the Ohio Department of Health, and from uh, elected executives like Mike DeWine. So I wanted to get into all of this with you. Let me start, if we can, here with the issue of masking, which is becoming, you know, more and more every day, uh, a, a highly contentious and political issue in this country rather than a medical issue. 
Uh, Joe Biden has said that one of his three prongs on his three prong approach to dealing with the coronavirus, which, by the way, is ridiculous that he is even saying this because people have been masking already and people have been waiting for the vaccine already. And uh, conservatives have told Joe liberals, look, Joe Biden to let kids go to school. Those are his three prongs. But um, he said he's going to wear people wear masks for at least his first 100 days in office, Dr. Tenpenny. And he says that's because everybody needs to uh, protect everybody else. And even if you're not sick, you could spread the virus. I want you to talk about the reality of that and whether or not people who don't have symptoms have the viral load necessary to spread that virus to other people, people Dr. Tenpenny. I think it's it pretty interesting, Bob. It's the first viral infection ever that I'm aware of in the 35 years I've been a practicing physician that we are so terrified that somebody who's not sick might make somebody else sick. I mean, think about that just logically for a minute. You know, we can, we're concerned when people have a fever, a cough, chills, that maybe they might be infectious. But we've got healthy people standing around that we are determining that they are health, they are sick until they're proven to be healthy, which is just the antithesis of, of common sense. I mean, why would we be, and we are carriers of trillions of viruses and bacteria across our body all day long. Why would this individual virus be the one that's so incredibly contagious that we have to be tested to see if we're, if we have it? And the PCR testing is fraudulent information unless you know what the, what the uh, cyclic uh, count is, what the, what the CT count value is. Because if it's more than 37, it means that there's no active, con- full virus uh, uh, in the person. And unless you have an intact, complete virus, you, you are not infectious. You can't spread anything. You're not contagious. So you have a tiny little particle of viral debris, meaning that you've been in contact with a coronavirus somewhere in your life that is amplified 37 times before they can actually even test it in a laboratory. And if it's above 37, there's no real whole virus there. And honestly, if we're having all of these people, like this morning, I think I heard on the radio that we had 11,000 people that tested positive yesterday. Are there really like a hundred and that would mean a hundred and ten thousand people got tested in this state yesterday? Aren't well, we well to, to be clear, 11... if I may, to, to be yeah. clear, let's let's because uh, I want to be fair uh, in in the people that we're criticizing, I'm criticizing, and that you are as uh-huh. well here. But I want to be fair to them. That's the only way this has any effectiveness. Those yeah. tests that they say are the number, and first of all, not people, it's cases. And, and right. case does not equal a person, as you know. Exactly. And number two is they're saying those were the number of cases reported in the last 24 hours. Doesn't mean they all happened in the last 24. As you know, they can go back as far as two weeks and say we're now reporting a positive case from two weeks ago. So it doesn't mean all 110,000 were tested yesterday, just to be fair. But 110,000 over the last two weeks? There you go. I mean, okay, now that's a fair I- question. Now, because sooner or later, if there's 11 million people in the state of Ohio, are we going to have a 100% test rate? When does it stop? And shouldn't we be happy if people are testing positive that are not sick, that don't have a fever, a cough, loss of taste and smell, um, any sort of sore throat, any of those things, that they're testing positive, that they've been exposed to the virus and they're not sick? When do we decide that this virus is going through the population and we're developing natural herd immunity? And people are being exposed without becoming ill. Well, that's a really great question. We're talking to Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. What they will tell us and are telling us is, 
that we will not have herd immunity in our population until around 70% of the population either gets the disease or the virus and develops the antibodies or receives the vaccine in order to develop those antibodies. I'll come to that in a second because I know how you feel about the vaccination issue. But before we do that, let's hit the the asymptomatic spread, the healthy people uh, being masked and quarantined, etc. This is something that nobody in the media will play. This is Dr. Fauci from January of this year. Now, yes, that means right at the beginning of the coronavirus cases. But Dr. Anthony Fauci said that never in recorded human history, in the history of respiratory viruses, have asymptomatic people been the driver of an outbreak. But, but yet here we are making policy as if that's exactly what is happening. Listen. But the one thing historically people need to realize that even if there is some asymptomatic transmission, in all the history of respiratory-borne viruses of any type, asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks. The driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person. Even if there's a rare asymptomatic person that might transmit an epidemic is not driven by asymptomatic carriers. Now, we're told every day, Dr. Tenpenny, to listen to Dr. Fauci. He's the man. He's the uh, unquestioned grand poobah of epidemiology. Well, why are we ignoring that from Dr. Fauci? Because it was 10 months ago. Um, Bob, the what Dr. Fauci just said, I couldn't have said it better myself, because that's exactly the truth. And that there have been, that if, if you have the virus and you have symptoms, that means you have a whole virus that has made your body react. And what we do when we become ill, our first line of defense is developing a fever. Because when you turn up the temperature, that's when all of the cytokines and the white blood cells and all of your immune response starts to go after this, this virus or bacteria that's invaded into your system. Now you've become symptomatic because you have a whole virus that is causing your immune system to to heat up to be able to get that out of your body. If you don't have symptoms, you don't have enough viral load or you don't have enough viable virus that's present for you to be contagious to anyone. So this whole concept of asymptomatic carrier and spread, and it's the most deadly virus ever, and so we have to wear a mask and stay six feet apart and take a six-inch cotton tube or cotton swab and put it way to the back of your throat to see if you have it, the entire thing makes no logical sense. None. Yeah, well, they, I, w- I wish they only went to the back of my throat. Instead, they go up to my eyeballs through my nose, uh, which is a lot less comfortable. Well, it's through your um, nose to the back of your throat is the direction it's supposed to go. If they po- put the uh, Q-tip through your nose up towards your eyeballs, that was bad technique yeah. and should not even have been done. Okay, yeah, and, and I'm just talking about how it felt, of course. I know I know. Uh, you know where it's <laughs> no, going. Uh, okay, uh, last thing before I ask you about the vaccine, which seems to be what everybody is counting on here. Can you just walk me through this briefly, this PCR count of 37 or greater being uh, leading to false positives again? I want to speak intelligently about this in the future, and I want everybody else to know exactly what you mean when we talk about the PCR test being ineffective and being, in many cases, fraudulent because of the, the cyclical threshold count. Um, it, it, walk us through that in layman's terms, if you can, so we can all sure. talk about it. So what the PCR test, take, go back one step, what PCR, what PCR testing is, it's, um, it's a, it, it, it examines, it's highly specific, it's very sensitive, it's polymerase chain reaction, that it can find the tiniest little piece of genetic material from a virus. 
It was intended to be only used for laboratory use. It was never, ever intended to be used in clinical medicine. The person, Dr. Carrie Mullins, who actually developed the laboratory test, actually won the Nobel Prize for this back in 1963 because it was such an incredible thing for laboratories to be able to find tiny little pieces of genetic material and double it. They take that what the PCR test does is if you find one piece, you double it to make it to be two, then four, then 16, and on and on and on. The more times you have to double it means the smaller the amount of specimen that you began with. So if you have to double it up to 37 times, the only thing you're looking at is doubling of little tiny pieces of, of, of genetic material. That means there's no whole virus there at all. So when you get up to 37 or above, if you took that specimen and you put it in a Petri dish or you tried to grow that virus, there's no viable virus that can be grown. So therefore, that person does not have a whole virus. They're not contagious. They're not infected. They have a past memory in their body of a tiny little bit of viral genetic material. I kind of use this, in, this analogy, Bob. It's like if you took a, 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 the end of a twig off of a tree and it was a tiny little bit and you had to double it until you had enough twigs to be able to start a fire with. You've got a whole pile of twigs, but you don't have a tree. And so if you don't have the whole tree, it's, it doesn't have any relevance. And so when you have this little bit of genetic material that goes over and over again to get up to 37, and that's why the state of Florida has now required their laboratories, when they report a, a, a PCR test, which we've made it into a binary report, it's either positive or negative. Well, if it's positive, then you are, they're now requiring their laboratories to report the CT count with it because if it's 37 or above, it's a false positive and it means nothing. That is a fantastic explanation, and, uh, and I love the metaphor with the tree. That, that, that helps us understand that. All right, Dr. Tenpenny, let's talk about the virus now, or excuse me, the vaccine now. Uh, everybody is so excited. Uh, we can see an end. We can see a light at the end of the tunnel, they're telling us, because Moderna and uh, Pfizer have two vaccines that they say have been proven to be 95% effective in their randomized controlled trials, and uh, that uh, there are no side effects or long-lasting side effects that they are aware of. I want to ask you about both of those things. Because I've heard you in other interviews talking about Pfizer perhaps being less than genuine and honest in the discovering or reporting their 95% that there may be some spin going on and maybe with Moderna as well. Do you believe that these vaccines that are on the cusp of being delivered and administered literally within the next couple of days potentially, do you believe they will be effective or as effective as they say that they are? Well, it's amazing that they could do this on such a short-term turnaround, Bob. I mean, I read, uh, you know, you sent me the, um, the, the, a table out of an article from the New England Journal of Medicine. Yeah. And I pulled up that article and I skimmed through most of it. I didn't, I didn't get a chance to read it in great detail yet, but I will. But what's interesting is there were only four, there were 46,000 people in a, it's a multinational study, 46,000 people that they divided into two groups and they followed the, uh, whether or not they got sick within four to seven days after the second dose of the vaccine. Four to seven days? I mean, what does that mean two months from now or a year from now? I mean, are they going to follow to see if how many of those people who actually got the vaccine became sick? 
Are they just following cases and PCR testing? Are they actually seeing if people actually contracted symptoms? There's just so much missing out of that study. And they, and what I could find was that they said that the placebo was a saline injection. Well, a saline injection should have no side effects, but yet there were side effects of uh, swollen lymph nodes and, and lots of other types of, of things that they listed from somebody that got a saline shot. I don't think that's possible. And so I, I really am concerned about it. And then there was another arm of the study where they, um, uh, the side effects of the vaccine is the same as the side effects of, uh, same as the symptoms of the infection. You know, body aches, mm-hmm. loss of taste and smell and fever. fever and all of these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, but they left it to the study investigator to determine whether or not when people got those symptoms, whether they were going to test them to see if they were infected. They said what they did was they just listed all of those side effects and they labeled them off as being a side effect of the vaccine. And say, they said, therefore, the, the people didn't get sick. The only thing that they were experiencing was the side effect of the vaccine, but they were never tested. So how do they know? And so I think this whole fast tracking is going to blow up in their face, Bob. I really do. I think there's a lot of people, uh, you know, that are very much research-minded and much more into the literature and can dig through these things, and they're going to expose all of this. And, and the other thing that's interesting to me about the, about the fast tracking and approval of the vaccine is if you read the rules for the FDA to be able to approve any sort of a biologic drug or anything of a, under the EUA, the Emergency Utilization Authority, one of the criteria is that they can fast track this and give you approval if there are no other therapeutics that are effective to treat that infection and if there's nothing else that's available that has a lower side effect risk profile. Well, the vaccine fails on both of those. I mean, we know that there's other drugs, there's supplements, there's IV vitamin C, there's other things that we can use to treat this infection. So I think that they violated that tenet by approving this vaccine under an EAU. And also, you know, taking zinc and quercetin has a lot lower side effect profile than the potential of this vaccine that they aren't even, they haven't even followed long terms yet. Uh, last thing, because we're short on time here, I want to go back to the poobah, uh, Dr. Fauci, and this is what he said about the vaccine. I want to get your thoughts on this before we go. We'll have the virus that is in your nasopharynx because you could get infected. We're not sure at this point that the vaccine protects you against getting infected. That That last line is the line. We are not sure at this point that the vaccine protects you against getting infected. Yet, he and his team and everybody around the country that is so weary of, of coronavirus and pandemic lockdowns and orders, et cetera, et cetera, are, are, are treating the vaccine as the, as the panacea. This is what we've been waiting for. Everybody is saying this is going to work. But here's Dr. Fauci, the guy we're told to listen to, saying, we're not sure if this is, if this is going to work at all. Your thoughts on that? Uh, it, again, it sums it up completely. We don't know. I mean, it takes years, sometimes decades, for them to bring a vaccine to market. They have fast-tracked this in, what, 9 to twelve, nine to 10 months? Yeah. So we don't know what the long-term Which, if it works, are. by the way, is an incredible achievement. And, and I, cause, you know, and President Trump was the driver of this. He put together, you know, the, the, the public-private partnership that put these doctors and the technology and the unlimited funds to work on this 24-7 around the clock, which they did. And that's an amazing thing. And I hope the president gets credit for it if it does work. But again, to the point that Dr. Fauci made and you are making, we just don't know if it's going to work. Go ahead. 
Well, and we don't know what the long-term side effects are going to be. I mean, when I finally got the ingredient list for what this is going to be in this vaccine, and Bob, I've been studying vaccines and problems with them for 20 years and 40,000 hours of my life. There are three ingredients in there I've never seen before in any other vaccine. Three of them, not just one, three, and they're all chemical names. Do we know how that's going to behave in the human body two months, six months, a year from now? There's no research in it at all. No, there's uh, that, and that's what's very alarming. And again, I'm like everybody else. I want to achieve herd immunity. And if the vaccine is 100% safe and it is, say, 95% effective, uh, and that's what it takes to join those who get hurt, who uh, become immune naturally with uh, uh, antibodies being built up from exposure. I'd be happy like everybody else, but I'm not convinced of that. And if you listen to Dr. Fauci, the man we're told to listen to, he's not either. And that makes this, uh, uh, you know, a bit of a, a, of a depressing story, really, quite frankly. It's, uh, it's going to take the wind out of a lot of people's sails. Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, thank you so much for your analysis of all of the above. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you. That's Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. On AM 1420, the answer. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying don't ever take a vaccine. Dr. Tenpenny is never saying don't take a vaccine, but you better be careful and know what the long-term effects are. And in this case, this is, uh, an awful fast, uh, uh, approval of, uh, of a drug or of a vaccine rather, uh, really unlike anything we've ever seen before in medical history. It could be alarming. 955, right back. Okay, 9.57, got time for maybe a call or two here. Uh, thanks again to Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. Don't forget, coming up at uh, the top of the hour at 10.10, to be more precise, State Representative Candace Keller is going to join us to talk about the Senate Bill 311, which would strip Mike DeWine of some of the powers that he has uh, and that of the health director to impose uh, all of these tyrannical orders upon us. Uh, that passed the House, that passed the Senate, and then it was vetoed by Mike DeWine on Friday. Will there be enough votes to override that veto? And should there be? Candace Keller will talk talk about that with us after the top of the hour news. Cheryl is in uh, Columbia Station, now on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Cheryl. Go right ahead. Hello. It's, a, it's an honor. Thank you. Um, I, I just wanted to call in because I, when you were talking about the football game, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Oh, you can you can go to the game no problem with the curfew. I was really mm-hmm. incensed. Um, just just last week, um, this past weekend actually, I'm a, I'm an RN. I work for an interventional radi- uh, neurologist. Um, we do um, procedures on people, and I work with a PA, a young PA who um, a physician's assistant who uh, assists the doctor, the interventionist. She um, had uh, family over for dinner uh, over the weekend, and uh, at the end when they were all leaving. They noticed that her dog was missing, um, that somebody had left the door open and the dog had gotten out. She lives by the parkway. She was afraid because there was, you know, there's coyotes around her house and everything all the time. And he's not real, real, yeah, he's not real, you know, smart dog. (laughs) Anyhow, she, um, the family, the family all went out, you know, and, and she got in her car. She was going to go through the parkway, see if he went down through there, um, she was going through the parkway. She was stopped by an officer. He said, you're out after curfew. She explained the situation. She said, you know, listen, you know, I'm, I'm afraid for my dog. He um, did not have a mask on, so I don't know how, um, you know, uh, how concerned he was about that curfew and the reasons for it. But um, 
he said that, um, you know, you, he, she explained the whole situation. And he, he said, you know, he said, I was going to give you a, 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 just a, um, a warning, but I'm going to give you a ticket since you have so much to say about this. She explained that she was a healthcare worker. She explained that the dog was missing, et cetera. Um, so she got a ticket. Um, she would be, um, she called and said she could not make it because to the court date because, you know, she had, uh, you know, procedures to do. Um, they said, okay, we'll do it for two weeks from now. Then she explained to the prosecutor what happened. She said, I'm sorry, did you find your dog? She goes, yes, I did eventually, you know, and everything. And she said, well, you know, this is a $6,000 fine or six months in jail. Um, if you're found guilty and, um, her sister was also stopped who was, um, up on the road, um, walking, calling for the dog. And she went to court yesterday. Sure, sure. And, I'm a little short um, on time here. I'm, I'm a little short on time here, but b- bottom line, what okay. happens here? Did she have to pay a ticket? Um, she still has to go to court, but her do- her sister went to court and they told her, um, she has to pay court fines. They dismissed it, but they, she has to pay $160 and she said, you're lucky you didn't get a ticket for your dog being, uh, loose. Wow, that's that's terrible, Cheryl. I'm glad you shared, but I'm glad you shared the story because that just kind of uh, speaks to the insanity that we are dealing with right now. That is not something local law enforcement uh, uh, officials should be engaging in. Thank you for so much for the fun. That's why so many of them say they won't. By the way, but it's unfortunate that in this case they did. All right, uh, Candace Keller, state representative, next. AM fourteen twenty. The answer.